Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Tara Talk. Hi, everybody. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the Insidious franchise, which if you don't know, there are four movies um, between the year 2010 and 2018 was the last one that was directed. Um, so yeah, four movies. But in that, what Insidious deals with is parapsychology basically. And so we want to talk about a little bit about what parapsychology is and I don't know, thoughts, feelings. I, I tend to like horror movie. What This is what I realized watching the Insidious franchise. I had never watched all of them. I had seen the first two, I think, and maybe like pieces of the other two, but this was the only time I ever sat down and really paid attention and this watched is, it all the way through. This was my first time going through all of them. And it's I'm just realizing that, and we talk a lot about the different um, like subgenres of horror that we each gravitate to, to mm -hmm. and certainly parapsychology or haunted houses are certainly something that I go for. So this was right up my alley, by the way. Um, I like it too. I like if it's if it's done well. I mean, I think there's some out there that are like in any genre suck, but for the most part. Um, if it's done well, like the poltergeist and things like that, they're, yeah. they're scary. I mean, right out of the gate, I think this is a solid franchise. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into, um, probably in the second half of our show, we'll go through each movie and talk a little bit about each one and the psychological aspects of each one, because they do get progressively more, more and more psychological as you go through the four. Mm -hmm. um, but also, as always, we'll throw in our thoughts and feelings about it as a horror movie. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to do that. But first, uh, let's talk parapsychology. So for those of you who don't know, and there are lots of definitions out there <laughs> of what parapsychology is, but I'll throw one out there. Uh, parapsychology is the field of study that investigates paranormal or psychic phenomenon. Um, Researchers have looked into evidence of extrasensory perception, precognition, telepathy, telekinesis, etc. Um, alleged phenomena kind of thing. Um, I think there was another, yeah, there's another like a dictionary answer to this question, which is the study of mental phenomena, which are excluded from or inexplicable by orthodox scientific psychology such as hypnosis telepathy etc mm -hmm. so you get the idea one of, one of my, my dissertation chair actually who's a police psychologist she she did hypnotherapy mm -hmm. she was certified in that and there's you know there's a lot of controversy around it but um it's interesting yeah i've had supervisors in the past when i was a a new therapist when you're earning your hours that were hypnotherapists i've also mm -hmm. had hypnotherapy have you ever had no i've never had it what did you think of it um, it's very, it's very nice. I, uh, I don't, I'm not, uh, some people are m more able to sink into those states of consciousness. I, I can be very relaxed and I definitely go with it, but I, hypnotherapy in a traditional sense is not 
well, my experience, let's put it this way. My experience was not certainly not like what you see in the movies. Like you're completely gone. <laughs> like what you see in the movies. Like I didn't lose time or yeah. forget what I was doing. And then when you see the like grandstand staging shows of where people get hypnotized, hypnotized and act like chickens and stuff. Um, I was doing it in a therapeutic setting. Right. So whether or not she could have made me act like a chicken or not, I don't know. Because right. <laughs> she would never have done that. Um because it was supposed to be for... Unless you don't remember. <laughs> Unless I don't remember. She's got secret video. <laughs> nah, not this lady. <laughs> Extremely ethical um, and a, just a good a good being, a good person. Um, but what I did experience was like a deep calmness, a deep um, meditative state. If you've ever meditated, that's uh, to the point of being in a deep meditative state. That's kind of what it feels like. Would it like. be almost like a, did it ever feel like um, in, in between sleep and awake? Uh, sometimes it depended on the day, you know, a lot mm. of it so depends on how you are that day. How, and maybe too, how, how much you allow yourself. Yeah. How you are, how much you submit to it. Um, how, how much your psyche is fighting through those things. Um, and again, I've only had, um, I had an experience. It was like 12 sessions. Mm -hmm. With one person. So I haven't had a ton of, you know, having had hypnotherapy with a bunch of different people. Um, and also I think hypnosis is different than hypnotherapy. Absolutely. You know, so I my experience was hypnotherapy, which I would recommend to anybody who's wanting to. Um, for what I can tell is that it's for when you're wanting to target a particular thing. Mm -hmm. um, lots of people do it to quit smoking mm -hmm. or, you know, the, there's a... So that... So what happened is for me, I'll just share this is that, you know, there were these 12 sessions, each session was an hour long. Um, I paid for them in a, in a, a bulk, you know, like, here's what we're doing. It doesn't have to be forever. It's much like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy where you kind of go for a chunk of time. Like very solution focused. Very solution focused. At least again, this was my experience. I could see doing it in an ongoing way mm -hmm. as it's, um, pretty darn relaxing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you sit in the comfy chair, you sit in the quiet room. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody has different things decorated and then you listen to the calming voice. And what I loved about it was it very much reminded me of my training in imaginal therapy where you're literally going into rooms in your home basically. Mm -hmm. And they give you all kinds of visualization. She would lead me in a visualization and, uh, and one I'm remembering right now was one where she like took me into whatever house I was imagining or something, and then took me down some stairs into the mm. basement. And then in the basement is where like you did the work around the issue. And then as you came out of it, she walked you back up to the house, you know, so that's that metaphor for consciousness and, un and yeah. um, subconsciousness. So it was stuff like that. And she recorded each session and I walked away at the time <laughs> with a CD. Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine they do them with MP3s now. You can just do it on your phone. Um, and so I could have those and still have them um, like to listen to, like mm -hmm. to go to sleep to if I wanted to or to run my own. That's session. really cool. So, yeah. So I'm like I, really relaxed just listening, like <laughs> thinking about that. Mm -hmm. 
It's it's super cool. So for any of you who might be um, budding therapists or already therapists, I could absolutely see having an adjunct to your practice being a hypnotherapist if you were into that or getting hypnotherapy yourself to enhance your own knowledge of your subconscious. Um, either way, it was pretty relaxing. So I would recommend it highly. Um, and it did help me with the stuff I was working on at the time. Um, I also wanted to mention the, I don't know if you know, maybe this is part of what you were looking at um, as you prepared for this episode, but part of parapsychology is this Pierce Pratt experiment. Did you see that? No. Um, I guess it's a pretty famous experiment. What um, is it called? Pierce, like P-E-A-R-C-E dash Pratt, which is the two people who did it, P-R-A-T-T. So if you Google Pierce Pratt experiment, um, it was the it's, the, it's a series that you can read about. It's the early attempts to obtain laboratory evidence for ESP. Mm-hmm. So um, they had special precautions to exclude all possibilities of error that included two experimenter controls, independent records, and several hundred yards of distance between the target cards and the subject. They probably used cards to, you know, predict um, the, in, apparently it gave highly significant results supporting the ESP hypothesis. So that was something, I think it was 1961, but when you Google it, it'll come right up, obviously. Um, so the laboratory though was from 1932 to 1964. Okay. So maybe I'm looking at the published, um, but I mean, that's a, that's critique a of it. So that's a real, like a longitudinal study in a sense, right? Yes. Yes. There was, that's, I think that's why it made a name for itself is because it was big. It was, um, Joseph Banks Rhine. He's considered, he's basically considered the founder of parapsychology in the 1930s. Yeah. Right. Okay. Here's my notes. <laughs> 1961 was something I was reading about. Um, it was a critique of the work, but in the 1930s, um, at Duke university, mm-hmm. they did the extra sensory perception for those of you who don't know what ESP is, um, involving, uh, the attempted remote viewing of Zener cards in a laboratory setting. Um, Stanford research Institute tested, um, recently actually did a like a spoon bending test metal this guy Yuri Geller could I guess allegedly bend things in his mind so there's some stuff out there if you want to if you want to go down that rabbit hole of the paranormal um clairvoyance is another one mm -hmm. which we saw there's a lot of that too in the film yeah there wasn't a whole lot of boons spoon bending in this but yeah. i don't know there wasn't a lot of that um there was some esp mm-hmm. um clairvoyance is the supposed faculty of perceiving things or events in the future or beyond normal sensory contact i guess yeah they're talking to ghosts i mean the main character of this movie well she would just even like um the waking up with that feeling having that dream mm-hmm. knowing where people were knowing what their names were before even meeting them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met people who have versions of this. Okay. And I have had versions of this through dreams. I talked to my mom about it. She's like, we actually have it a lot on the female side of her family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying we're clairvoyants, but we certainly have a, an intuition. Um, it's really interesting if you've ever like sat with people who do 
I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, this, back when I was waiting tables, I went up to a table and there were four people at the table and this woman looked at me and she said, you're a seer, like S-E-E-R. And I said, I kind of looked at her weird. I knew what she meant, but I was like, thanks. Would you like fries with that? <laughs> and, well, I was more, a little bit more freaked out because this was a time where I was actually, um, there was a, a period of three years that I was having um, either literal or metaphorical dreams and anywhere between 24 and 72 hours they were happening. Mm-hmm. And um, so she, I knew what she was saying, but I didn't want her to um, go any further because it's actually, it was like kind of like a blessing and a curse at the same time. And so then we started talking and um, I said, I think I know what you mean. And she said, she said, how old were you when it started? I said, about 19. And she goes, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And we had a short conversation. But the fact that she could pick it up and feel it was pretty interesting. And yeah, you know, there's the con artist and all that out there. But I do believe that there's a level of intuition and energy out there that some people are just more attuned to things than others. I don't know to what level, if it's spiritual or energetic or universal. It's, I don't really want to get into that. But um, I've certainly felt it in my life. I think that, um, I actually think that therapy is a great way to get in touch with a more intuitive knowing of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you choose to use it that way and sort of sink down into deeper levels than just the cognitive knowing that we have or the intellectualization that we have in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly know that, you know, it, it's entirely possible and I'm not necessarily talking about just you, but for example, like if it, being, you know, 19 and having somebody say that to you or something, and then maybe being like 30 and not being as in touch or something, you know, like I yeah. think that people can, um, shut it off or shut it down. Well, it's too. interesting. I noticed. So when she told me that I was about I was in my late 20s and it had started when I was 19 but what I did notice was when I started really getting into graduate school and I would and I no longer wanted it because sometimes I would I would have a dream that it was literal there was a really bad one with a car accident and multiple people dying and and literally the next day it unfolded <clears throat> pretty pretty close to what it was and I remember starting to block it and I would once I started really getting into my grad work and not wanting I I for about four years it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in, up in your head probably mm-hmm. right. I don't yeah. know. It's just a guess. Yeah. But it's um I don't know. This is this is one of those topics where depending on how we speak about it, I think people have different reactions to it. And clearly Hollywood exaggerates everything. So when we watch these films, we see an exaggeration. However, you know. Uh, clairvoyance and and parapsychology is used sometimes as a as a um a, sup- a supplemental measure in criminal investigations and forensic investigations so yeah it certainly has its basis in supportive help to yeah it's a pseudoscience mm-hmm. so they use it you know it's not like the only thing that they use but they will use it Right. I mean, heck, even in psychological evaluations, we don't just do one test. Like, right. you know, so it yeah. makes sense to me, like, use whatever information you have. And if someone can be intuitive about something, um, why not? Yeah, they, why not? they'll bring in people to help locate bodies. I mean, just like they bring in psychologists to uh, provide expert advice. Right. I mean, it, it, it to me, it's a similar. Yep. 
Um, they're not sure. going to just go off what a psychologist says because that's not the whole picture. Um, but they're going to use all the different things, I suppose. I, um, my mom, when I was a kid, my mom told me that she could astral project. I know I've talked about that on the show mm -hmm. before. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I always think about that story that she told me um, where she realized or felt as if she could. Um, which I respect anybody's experience. <laughs> like if that was your experience and that's what it felt like happened, then okay, we're mm -hmm. going with that. I mean, that's like a basic tenet in psychology is to just respect people's experience. Mm -hmm. um, it does, you don't have to believe in it or not. <laughs> I think that's like where our general public gets, gets a little bit crazy. It's like, well, I don't really care if you believe in <laughs> X right. or Y or Z. Like that, my business just rejects the idea of like, okay, you don't believe in it. And, you know, right, right, right. Like, well, and I think also in the, the literal sense of the way things are written sometimes too, like if you look up the definition of astral projection and it talks about, you know, intentional out of body experience, assuming the existence of a soul or consciousness called an astral body. Like if you think of that and someone tells you that they do that, you're going to be like, shut up. That is not how, <laughs> but if you really think about how, again, energetically someone could shift out in a, a state of consciousness or whatever, and, and that's what appears to them, whether it's a dream or it's actually happening, who am I to decide that it happened or it didn't happen? Yeah. It's, it's not really relevant to exactly. the work we do. It's like you said, we work from their experience. It's interesting to think about because there's so much we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and whether that's time travel, whether that's heaven and hell, whether whatever it is, I mean, there there are things outside of us and this life that we just don't know. And if we think we know, um, you know, maybe we just need to be okay sometimes with not knowing. Yeah, and that's of course hmm. it's hard for people. Yeah, that's that's the dialectic of like studying psychology, and I and I imagine most people that come to psychology that make it all the way through, so to speak, um, come to it with an openness of mind. Uh, they might find their edges where they don't have an openness of mind during the process. Certainly, I think everybody should find those edges and explore them. But And then there are some people that come because they were wanting to fix something about themselves or you know, they have their own mental health issues and, you know, it goes a different direction or they have a savior complex. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, true. I went to a school, I mean, <laughs> to show you where I'm coming from, I was attracted to a school that has programs, um, like Jungian and archetype studies. Mm -hmm. You can get a PhD in that. Um, they have, um, integrative therapy and healing practices, PhD, uh, they also have a community liberation, indigenous and eco psychology PhD, mm -hmm. um, and they have clinical psychology. So like I'm the nerdy one that is in clinical psychology, the rest of the college counseling, psychology and clinical psychology, the rest of the college is doing all of these like very out of the box, forward thinking, like things. Yeah. And I can say that in both my programs there, there was a lot of that weaved in because the people who are attracted to that college are going to expect, you know, depth and Jungian theory and, um, an acceptance of creativity. A lot mm -hmm. of, that's one of the big reasons why I went there is because they were, you know, they told me I could do my papers and stuff on more creative endeavors mm -hmm. and memoir and stuff. So anyway, 
that's where my brain comes from. So it makes sense, I guess, to me that I would be attracted to like things in horror to um, Insidious or The Conjuring or stuff that rides the, you know, just indulges the idea Mm -hmm. of other worlds, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it too. I I don't um, need to know if it's true or not, or like we said you know, it could be one person's experience and not, not another person's experience. But the I think there's something scary and comforting mm-hmm. about the idea of other worlds and other times. And um, this 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 franchise, which we'll get into, I think does a really, first of all, it's written well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the storylines make sense and it all connects and it's all relevant and it doesn't feel like it's disjointed from one film to the next. So I love that. But then I love the way that it's portrayed. I mean, it's still Hollywood, but I think it's still done in a way that you can watch it and go, okay. Like it didn't, ju- it didn't feel just like shock value. It didn't feel mm-hmm. over the top. And I love, I love, um, uh, let me see what's her name anyway. Uh, Lynn Shay. I love her anyway. I mean, she's done great work. She um, plays like the main, the main actress, the main actress in the four films. So cool. All together. Yeah. Yeah, no, I have I have good things to say about it too. Um, we're gonna take a quick break and come back and go through the movies um, one by one, in kind of, <laughs> and talk about because uh, there's little bits and pieces to talk about. So we'll be right back. <laughs> While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Hi there, we're back. So we're going to talk about the four films in the Insidious uh, franchise. Insidious, Insidious Chapter 2, Insidious Chapter 3, and Insidious The Last Key. Um, I did want to, I looked up the definition of Insidious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that would be, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so the first one is Intended to Entrap or Beguile. Uh, and then Stealthily Treacherous or Deceitful. And then... Operating or proceeding in an inconspicuous or seemingly harmless way, but actually with great effect. Hmm, that fits. I love those definitions. I know. It's like the, so, you know. So this first movie, Insidious, was directed by James Wan and written by Lee Wanell. And um, they are longtime partners in the biz uh, all the way back. They, together, all the way back to the first Saw movie. Um So Insidious is uh, a family discovers that dark spirits have invaded their home after their son inexplicably falls into an endless sleep. When they reach out to a professional for help, they learn things are a lot more personal than they thought. The log line for this movie was, it's not the house that's haunted. (laughs) I just wanted to throw in there, too, that um, this movie supposedly is is was a reaction film to Saw because one got a lot of criticism from the Saw series for basically being told all you know how to do is make violent films. Um, <laughs> yeah. And because it is, it's, it's a great series, but it's incredibly violent. Yes. So one of the reasons he took this on was to prove that he could 
make a really scary movie without that level of violence. And he did. I really liked these. Yeah, the first Insidious. So the first Insidious for me is a great flick. It's just a great flick. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend it to anyone. Um, even if you are not that much into horror movies, I still think if you if you know if you want to have five or ten horror movies because you want to be well rounded in watching films, uh, this might be one of the ones that I would say along with the first Conjuring, which is the same peeps. <laughs> um, but I, I just. I really respect this film. So it stars Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Lynn Shay, um, and a whole host of others. Can uh, I just say it's really weird to watch Lynn Shay switch from like Magda and there's something about Mary <laughs> and then play such she's, she's a, I mean, great. she's been around for a long time, but that, that's like such a standout role. <laughs> I know. And so for her to go from that role, but she, she actually, this was the second time she actually did a she was a played a teacher in Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. so it's really funny to think she did these but uh, that's at first when it came on I'm like it's so hard to see her in this because I just think of her and there's something about Mary but I imagine by the fourth film you were good <laughs> actually by about 30 minutes in I was good because she's so great in yeah these. she's really good so I guess one of the things I would say the reason why I feel this film is solid is that one I like like as I've said haunted houses possessions ghosts ghost hunters astral projection all of that stuff is in this movie um I like that it's low budget mm-hmm. I appreciate that the it is not heavily weighted in CGI it's um mm-hmm. old you know these guys are really good actually at doing the kind of old school um, intense sort of lower budget. I mean, you can just tell when you're watching it that it doesn't take a lot of money to scare someone by having some, a shadow go by or, you know, a creepy dream come to life or, you know, and the, and the demon is terrifying and the demon is terrifying and not that complicated. No, he's, he's in full makeup, yeah. which, you know, I love. Yeah. There's no CGI. Yeah. And then <laughs> the scene where they're playing Tiny Tim's tiptoe through the tulips. <laughs> yeah. It's so, talk about a dialectic, okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such a mind, you know what? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just really creepy. They He did <laughs> such a good job. I think that's such a great point of taking something so simple and not having all the CGI and not having all of these big, you know, sets and whatever. And the... The creep factor, mm-hmm. especially in the first one. Although I will say, I think the third one scared me the most. Mm-hmm. The first one, really, there were some really good jumps and scares in the first one. Yeah. So one of the things that that you can say about the whole franchise, um, which I think was most successfully done in this movie, the first one, is that all the scares are legit. So I have thoughts and feelings about jump scares. Um, <laughs> Um, my, my feeling about jump scares is that I prefer them to be legit. In other words, I don't want you to, you know, the person looks in the door down the basement and then closes the door and there's like the, their friend is standing there and you jump because it's there. I want this, I want the scares to be legit. Mm -hmm. I want them to actually be things I'm supposed to be scared of. Right. So like, you don't want to be fooled. Yeah. I I don't, it's not as, um, it's kind of one of those things we've talked about before is like 
uh, for me, it feels, it, it just feels cheap and it feels like a betrayal. Like if I'm going to jump, I want to jump at something that's actually supposed to scare me. And this did that. And this did that. There are no like bullshit jump scares it's, and uh, like fair use of jump scares in this movie. Um, and, and major, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, and just major themes too of um, just the, the terror of your child being not only kidnapped or taken away from you but in into a different world where he cannot come back yeah. so there's major themes of like abduction and um kidnapping and all of that you know just the the parents losing their child his physical body is there but he's not there yeah i think for parents watching this they have an extra layer of like if this happened to me which of course movies are supposed to do you're connecting to them personally mm-hmm. um but for you know a PG-13 horror movies, you know, there's, there's, a, I don't know, probably 10, I could count that mm-hmm. I really, that scare me that I think. And Is that this PG-13? Just, mm-hmm, wow. That just shows you that, you know, you can be lower budget, you can write a really good story, which Lee Wanell wrote, um, and you can scare people without gore. Yeah. And. and I'm a fan of slashers as well. I watched some very gory movies over the weekend, which I will talk about on shrink chat. Um, But PG 13, you know, gory movies. uh, I I don't think they shock me. I don't know. And they, they disgust me a little bit and I'm intrigued by them, but they don't scare me like this. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of fear. It is a different kind of fear for sure. Um, Yeah. This movie First of all, it's also incredibly character-driven, which I love. There's a lot of backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think when a lot of times when we're thinking about um, people's ability to, you know, whether they're clairvoyant or they use astral projection or just like I was saying earlier how my mom said, you know, yeah, the, it tends to run on our the female side of my family. There's a big piece in this about how this is intergenerational mm-hmm. and, you, and you start to find that out. Um, and the way that that's written again, it's, it isn't disjointed. It makes sense the way that they connect. Um, there might be some light spoilers in here guys, Mm -hmm. but the way that they connect dad to this whole thing and why he is, um, shut down from it and doesn't Mm want to open that back up. And you don't really, you think in the first film that he's just being the guy, he's not believing the wife Mm -hmm. and then you find out more. Yeah, it deepens as you go, which I mm-hmm. think most good movies should do that. Like you got to hold on for a movie in a movie for like 45 minutes before mm-hmm. you make a kind of a decision of whether or not it's going to go anywhere. Right. Um, that demon. Yeah. The demon is very cool. Sharpen those fingernails, right? Like very it's, and he almost looks like um, Darth Maul from Star Wars. Oh yeah. The red and black makeup. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's creepy. <laughs> I wanted to say that um rated PG-13 um and you know for those of you who are familiar with rating guides like they rate PG-13 and R and all that for different reasons. So this particular movie I think was okay. Rated for thematic material, violence, terror, and frightening images and brief strong language. That's why it's PG-13 and not PG. FYI. I think another thing that makes <clears throat> this scary, at least in this first one, is um, the concept of running out of time. Mm. So the f- the further the son, son's name is Dalton, the longer he's asleep, mm-hmm. the, the 
more his body gets like further and further, right. more he gets further and further away from his physical body. Right. Because the demon is clearly trying to possess him and he's the host of this. So he's getting closer and closer to completely taking over his body. So there is that ticking time bomb too. I think that makes it always scarier when there's that. It's always, it's a great device to use in your screenplays. For those of you who are writing, to, um, you know, a ticking clock concept is really like it always it's always if you can execute it well it's always really effective mm -hmm. yeah one of the taglines while you were talking i was looking it up one of the taglines is the further you travel the darker it gets yeah <laughs> i love that I just and the love further that. away and it is it's it's an abduction story yes. in its own way it's just done with you know paranormal activity but mm -hmm. even when you watch um dad find him and mm -hmm. and and all of this if you haven't seen the film he's finding him when he's hypnotized which is really you know or you know when they do they sit around and they do the whole thing at the table and dad goes in because he's able to go in mm -hmm. so um they put him under they basically. put him they put him under and then you start to see him go into his uh, perception of this world and how Dalton's perception and the dad's perception all kind of come together. It's just really it to your point, Shannon, there's like so much of the unconscious in this and how they meet. Basically they meet in their own unconscious or each other's unconscious, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just done really well. Yep. I think it's an excellent horror movie. Like, you know, put it in the bag of good horror movies that we have along the way. Um, mm -hmm. Chapter two. Chapter two. So Insidious Chapter 2 was released in 2013, and it actually came out in the same year. I think that James Wan must have, I don't know, been in two worlds at once. Because <laughs> he made The Conjuring I, I know and Insidious so Chapter 2 in these. the same year. <laughs> and it really solidified. Like, if he wanted to make a statement about how he didn't need to have gore. He to, did. <laughs> he certainly did, because The Conjuring is also one of my favorite horror movies. So... Um, at least in this in this genre of horror movies. Anyway, again, directed by James Wan. Um, again, you know, same cast. Uh, the haunted Lambert family seeks to uncover the mysterious childhood secret that has left them dangerously connected to the spirit world. So, here's where it is. If you if you haven't um, if you haven't watched all these movies and you care about the story not being spoiled, then I would now go and watch those movies and come back because the insidious two basically leaves off exactly where insidious, the first movie stopped. So it's totally a ongoing story, like a TV series in a way. Mm -hmm. um, they go further and further and further into these mm -hmm. um, characters. And you, like Shannon was saying, you get really into the, the, dad's childhood patrick wilson's childhood um but then they end up in that hospital and yeah. all of that stuff connects there's a terrifying character in this one too yeah you get more of the origin story the origin story but the um the that lady in white yes that the female ghost i don't know what her name is or any of that again like this is why i'm bad at our trivias because i'm bad at the details i'm always looking at the big picture but um and the bride yeah yeah oh my god that female ghost like bitch slaps her at one point yeah <laughs> i was like whoa well and there, there's so <laughs> much um a, there's a whole story too between the the, the lady in white and then the bride in black right right which 
I'm not going to go into that whole story, but no. basically it's, there's a, um, so many psychological underpinnings of emotional abuse, child abuse, um, identity, so many psychological themes in the second one that mm-hmm. come up to, and that whole relationship and how it ties into, um, Patrick Wilson's mother, who's played by Barbara Hershey, who was a nurse at a hospital. Um, yes, it's, it's good. You guys, it's good. And, but there's so many deep, I think there's a lot of deep psychological themes in the second one. Yes. Child abuse. I know. Yeah, for sure. And it just keeps like the one thing that I appreciate. There's so many things I appreciate about this franchise, but there's one thing I appreciate, which is it's, it's a family drama. It's like the basis for this, if it wasn't in a horror genre, it would be a family drama. Like Mm -hmm. if we didn't have any distinction between those things, it's all based in what I, what I, you know, maybe there's little bits and pieces along the way that don't quite go together, but in general, I believe I buy it. Like it's based in something that feels uh, real or like it could happen. And so when you, base a horror movie in something that's solid and you have what I consider to be excellent um, acting performances. I think Patrick Wilson was excellent in this mm-hmm. um, and the, by actors and directors that take seriously the emotional piece of this. Then I think when you layer the horror on top of it, it just, then that becomes a successful horror movie because you you buy the underlying emotional component and then you have excellent acting on top of that. They like take it seriously. They, They're not like bullshitting. No, the they story. really do. And I think it's why you also get really attached to the characters. Mm-hmm. So when something does happen to them, you get upset, which is important, right? Like mm-hmm. our uh, an audience's emotional investment is kind of key. Yeah. Um, and I get that there's some movies out there that are just like silly or whatever. And, I also know that, you know, there's conversation around like whether the humor part of it works because there is some humor. Um, I think the humor is okay in this one. I can say like in later ones, I think they go a little off the rails, but um, the fourth one. Yeah, the fourth, the last one, the humor doesn't quite land a lot of the time. There's some really goofy, like you just cringe worthy, like, but um in this one, in the Insidious Chapter Two, I don't mind it as much. Um, mostly, the humor component is these two dudes that work for um, Lynn Shay's character, Tucker and Specs. Yeah, they're like, they're like the dudes that ha- you know hold the camera and you know in the poltergeist, you know, where they're like the, the dudes that record everything. The, and they're like the ghost hunters, they would call themselves. Yeah, yeah. Ghost hunter guys. And one of them, I mean, I liked them still in this movie. Yeah. Um, there's like a bigger guy and a nerdier guy. And well, they're both really Tuck, nerdy. And Tucker's always showing up with something to eat. Oh he my always God. has like a cupcake or. He makes me really, he makes me really laugh in these early movies. He's funny. Um, and, and I always, I, I However, mean, in the fourth one, that truck was pretty funny. Yeah. It was so obnoxious. I do still laugh. Yeah. I can't help myself. But if I'm kind of like looking at it, yeah. The, the humor lands okay in this one for me. I just like the little, like, in, you know, Lee Wan L injects these like little bits of humor in his stuff. So um, I like that. I get that not everybody likes humor in their horror, but I do because I enjoy a little relief. <laughs> Yeah, you need it. Um, one of the things I thought about in this uh, was, and then I continue to think about it in the other movies, is I ca- I wrote down, these ghosts are bold. 
That was my overall impression. The ghosts in this movie oh, are bold. They're bold and they're relentless. They're like right there. Yeah. There is nothing. They are not necessarily like hiding in closets. I mean, although they do, but they're like right out there. They stand right in front of you yeah. and talk to you or come at you or, I mean, like I said before, bitch slap you, like, yeah. just go, like physically interact with you. Which is a bold ghost if you are into haunted house movies and mm -hmm. ghost movies and stuff. There are different kinds of level, like these ones. And I think that adds to the the fear part mm -hmm. of it is because you know that this, these ghosts don't have any boundaries. They're not observing any kind of like artificial movie rules about ghosts not being able to interact between worlds. They're right. like, no, we do what we want. <laughs> Thanks do. so much. Love yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Insidious 3. And this is literally called Insidious Chapter 3. This, this one scared me quite a bit. So this is when we switch from um, uh, James Wan directing to Lee Wanell. So longtime writing partner um, becomes the director. So wrote the first couple of movies in this series and now is going to direct. And it does have a little bit of a different voice. But yeah. Yeah, it's a prequel. Um, mm -hmm. so it takes place before mm -hmm. Lynn Shay's character starts, uh, working with the Lambert family, which all gets really, by the way, nicely tied in, in number four, how that ends. And she gets the call from the Lambert family. They are looking at making number five. I think, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know because four was, was just, there was just enough there for me to like keep my hold attention. On. Oh yeah, every horror franchise um, goes into like you know. And it was interesting because it it it's it's Lynn, it's Elise's childhood and stuff. But anyway, in three, it's this prequel. Um, so she's working with a different family, and um, the ghost in this one, man, when she when when the girl gets hit by the when Quinn gets hit by the car. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's Dermot, Dermot Mulroney plays the father of a, a teenage girl, and he has a son as a younger son as well. And they uh, lost he lost his wife, so Quinn lost her mother. So a lot of the story is around um, Quinn reconnecting with her mother through this astral projection, but being able to um, also being clearly haunted by one of these sinister. Uh, ghosts and the ghost in this one um, is is yeah. I mean he picks her straight off the bed and like yeah throws Talk her about down on bold. the floor <laughs> yeah pretty bold and when you when they film it too like there's a scene after she gets hit by the car and she's laying in the bed and she's the neck where she doesn't have the neck brace yet but she she can't move because mm -hmm. um she has you know pretty, pretty much a body cast from the scary. waist down and she looks over in the window and the curtains are white and usually in movies they'll kind of disguise the ghost a little bit nope. more no the He's ghost just is standing black there behind a white curtain <laughs> he just straight he up is standing just there. standing there that's why and then it's just like this terror comes over mm -hmm. her and he picks her straight up like a like a I, WWF and just he's like the one that broke her legs. Her. Yeah, and yeah. Then, he, then that's when she needs the neck brace after that. And oh she's on God. the floor. It's it's terrifying. Just straight up breaks her legs. Yeah. So there's no like slow little haunting. Like that's you said. what I'm saying. Like yeah. they are bold. They are right there, mm -hmm. and then this like walks towards her. It's just like, and that's what I like about the low budget too. Is it's all done with filmmaking and mm -hmm. writing, and that's my jam because it's like if you can write something quality and then edit and film make around scaring me the crap out of me without you know green screen like i mean i have no doubt there was some green screen in all these oh, the, movies especially number but, three there there was when she she can't see still, her face 
that moment is pretty freaking scary and there's not a whole lot going on there. One of my favorite scenes in this one is when um, Lynn Shea's character Elise is sitting around the table and they've already lost Quinn into this astral projection and the demon is is like holding her and she's turning in into the demon, mm-hmm. like her body's turning in towards the demon mm-hmm. and they're trying to get her to come back and they bring, that's when they bring the mother in yeah. and the mother saves her. But it's this really intense mm-hmm. moment. It, it is, I will say it's like, it, even it, by number three, I'm still like rooting for these people to get her, get them back. Yes. Although this may not be, this may be like the weakest film in all four. Maybe. I mean, some people think they get progressively worse. Some people yeah. hate two. Some people hate three. Blah, I didn't blah, mind blah. three. I don't mind any of them. I actually don't mind yeah. any of them. Um, but three had some scary moments. The story three, wasn't my favorite, but three is just different. It's yeah, like it's different. you have a teenage um, um, protagonist you know, which is a little different, but then it's like, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I also enjoy just like sort of the overall theme of like to leave the dark, to live in the light. Like that's the kind of, they, I think they even say that at one point that, um, they're trying to leave the darkness to live in the light. And so that, what a psychological metaphor that is. But, um, (laughs) at one point I think Patrick, so is this, I think this is the one where Patrick Wilson is sort of or no, wait. he's not in through. Not Patrick Wilson. Dermot Sorry, that's the wrong one. It, Dermot, somebody says, you can't even kill yourself to get away from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can just, no, you just can't. <laughs> so I, the whole time too, her, Elise's character, she's just so tormented to, mm-hmm. to live in that. And when we get to four, you even think about like her childhood and you're like, God, this, this woman never got any reprieve from this. Yeah. And you know, the humor part is like the ghost hunters not being able to get the tech right and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. the, the technological people who can't get the tech right. And they're kind of around as well. Um, they're very minor characters. So if you don't like humor stuff, it's not that invasive really. I don't, the humor stuff. I don't think it was. Um, I don't either. I mean, you know, some people have feelings and there's far less, I mean, in number four, there's humor at the end, mm-hmm. but the first hour of number four is incredibly, um, depressing. Yeah. So moving into number four, um, the, so huh, the last key parapsychologist, Elise Rainier, which is Lynn Shay, um, and her team, Travel to the Five Keys, New Mexico to investigate a man's claim of haunting. Terror soon strikes when Rainier realizes that the house he lives in is her family's old home. So I like this concept. I really was excited. I Because I was waiting for, like, um, you know, the bad one. You know, the fourth in a series. I mean, I was like, wow, they really held out through... <laughs> through two and three wasn't too bad you know there were parts of it that were bad but they really um it's like her origin story mm-hmm. so i guess the last key is a metaphor in for many things in this movie but it's like the key to the story is kind of how i read it yeah you go back to um how she you know early on discovers that she has this this, I guess you want to call it a gift. Mm-hmm. It's a curse at the same time, but it's a gift. And right. um, father completely rejects it. And then you find out early on that um, she basically, when the first time she gets pulled into this, these uh, demons, she loses her mother over it and how she has to live with that. Um, it, 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 I think it, 
it explains a lot of her character and why she's so invested in the work too because of how early on how much this impacted her it almost like um she goes into it as a, a revenge fantasy in a way because the, the most important person in her life who actually protected her because her father rejected her gift mm-hmm. um so that i think there's deep psychological pieces too in that torment that she carries of knowing that she yeah. played a played a role in her mother dying she did and, and her and her brother you know she leaves the family but she can't at like 16, she's so over having to explain this and she knows that her brother's going to be affected if she stays around. She takes off. She yeah. takes off. So. It's, it's like, it's the prequel to the prequel. Right? So she so goes back to the, yeah, she goes yeah. back to her small town when she finds out, she gets a call that the people, the guy who's having an issue is living in her old house and so she runs into actual demons and then proverbial demons when she goes back. Mm-hmm. It's definitely talk about family drama. I mean, this just I guess maybe maybe that's why the humor comes off a bit bad there um, near the end. And some of the pieces is because because it is so solid there. I think the the foundation of the story and it almost it almost feels displaced. Yeah, it's like it's not it's like I don't know. You get I think as an audience member, you get invested in the child trauma that she Mm -hmm endured and why she does it and her freaking performance i mean first of all what movie in 2018 is completely held together by a 74 year old actress no, i mean that was so like, awesome amazing yeah and she's amazing mm-hmm. and it's like thick it's a performance it's got gravitas and so you know, you could dismiss it as the fourth movie in a horror franchise, or you could like look at it on its own. I mean, yeah. I think you could literally watch this film on its own. Yes, does it add layers if you've been through this journey with them? Absolutely. Right. Um, and that's the way I would recommend you watch these movies is all four. But um, it's uh, her performance is excellent. And I I mean, I was, you know, you, you could expect a garbage fire in the, in the, yeah, four, yeah. you know, you could yeah. expect like Jason lives or something. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, Jason, when franchises go on too long, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. you expect a little garbage fire. And I there feel, was a I, little bit in the humor there at the end, a little there cheesy. There was. And I, but, and I also feel like they had just enough to finish it up. So if they do, if they <laughs> yeah. do another one, mm-hmm. I'll be a little weary. I know it's called the last key for Christ's sake. I leave it alone. I say that I saw something about insidious five but i don't know but they could do like they do with the conjuring and make it like annabelle and all of that is all part of that conjuring universe 2021 insidious chapter five concept trailer okay and she's it looks like she's in it we'll see how it goes i mean these are filmmakers i trust generally speaking you know what i mean not everything is a home run you can't have home runs it's a concept trailer so i don't know if they'll do it especially with covid but i don't know they're working on it, I guess, yeah. or not. We don't know. But again, I like these filmmakers. So whether they do something new or different, I mean, they got their hands full with all the. It's called the Death Liar. Because The Conjuring 3 is going to come out too. Is it Conjuring 3? One of the Conjuring movies is supposed to come out too, again. Um, so they have their hands full with this haunted stuff. So I guess my wrap-up statements for this would be that I recommend the whole series. Um, I don't think any of them are, like, not entertaining. They're well-acted. The scares are pretty good. 
most of across the whole four movies, I would say most of the jump scares are fair. Fair, <laughs> they're not like tricks. Um, no, they're good. The scare, yeah. the scares are good. I think. I mean, there's of course pieces of the story that I think could have been slightly more developed. I would have liked to know um, more origin story of the can't breathe guy in chapter three. You know, they just kind of made him an empty kind of ghost. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was brutal and scary and terrifying, as we said, but there was no, I don't remember any kind of understanding of why he was like that or who he was or mm-hmm. what was going on there. There may have been a throwaway line or two, but not enough for me to remember, really. Um, my favorite line, even though it's stupid, is the in- in- insidious, the last key, where the sidekicks say she's psychic, we're sidekicks. He says that a couple of times. Oh, he says it. Yeah. <laughs> he says she's psychic and we're sidekicks. And the whole room just like doesn't say anything and he looks says at it him. Like four times. And this is the first time. Yeah. And he goes and he goes, Did you did you hear what I said? I said, She's psychic. We're psychic. Like, you know when someone tells a joke and nobody gets it. Yeah. And so then they say like then they repeat it and then they explain it. <laughs> he explains it like four times in a row. They're like, Okay. And then he just gets really demoralized by the whole thing. I don't know. That was, um, you know, again, the whole thing is cringy, but um, I don't mind a little cringe. I can't help myself. So that's what I got to say. Do you have any last words about No, I agree. I think it's, if you want a really good supernatural um, parapsychology, paranormal experience, it's a good series because there's a lot of bad ones. Yes, and the main character is... A parapsychologist, so we had to talk about it. Right on. We're going to come back with our What the Hell segment, so stay tuned. Hey there, we're back. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell, man? Um, I have a couple of what the hells because they're super short, but they made me giggle. Well, they made me say what the hell. So the first one is an astronaut was accused of committing the first crime in space uh, in 2019. <laughs> NASA, wow. well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you could like it. the The mind boggles, like so, the imagination runs wild with that. Like, yeah. wow, the amount of things you could do, probably. And also, like, it's almost like I had to be the first one who did it. <laughs> Well, NASA's Anne McLean was accused, accused being the appropriate word, of illegally accessing her estranged wife's bank account from the International Space Station during a mission. She denies it. <laughs> she denies it, but it's not I'm it's not clear what happened after that cuz of course they probably covered it up. That's pretty amazing. But uh yeah. I mean, I assume if you work at NASA, you probably have some access that Sure. Those of us out here don't, and so there you go. Um, The other one (laughs) that I was amused by was this. Um, Five hitmen get busted after they all kept subcontracting the hit. A businessman in China hired a hitman to kill a guy who was suing him. (laughs) Okay. That hitman... Apparently didn't want to do the job. So he hired someone else. Sublet the hit. <laughs> hired another hitman. Who then hired another hitman? Who hired another hitman? Oh my god. Who hired yet another hitman? All of them are now in jail. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
five Did like the job five ever degrees. To, I mean, no, I think they caught him. I mean, this article that I'm reading doesn't give any details, but they are all in jail now. Is what I stupid. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, stupid. no, I don't got time. It just and it just keeps going. Hey, I have a favorite ask. Hey, I have a favorite ask. Hey, I have a favorite ask. Yeah. Anyway, that's mine. This one comes from 10 Weird Crimes That Only Could Happen in Florida. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like its own series. I, I'm going to do a What the Hell series on Florida. That's Our top 10 What the Hell's from Florida. <laughs> basically what I do anyway. This is called Highlander 6, The Shrimpening. Well, well, <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they named the article. Sorry, that's funny. So uh, M- Michael Earhart of Deltona, not Daytona, yeah. Deltona. <laughs> okay. Florida walked into the kitchen one morning and discovered that a can of shrimp was missing from the cupboard. Mm. He was not happy about this. He was incredibly annoyed. So he confronts his 34 year old stepson about the uh, absent and canned crustaceans. So the argument starts to grow, gets really heated. The stepson and Earhart decide to take it outside. You know, that's what, that's what men do. Okay. So on the back patio, the stepson smashes a lawn ornament, and that's when Earhart realized that things were going way too far. Mm-hmm. He locks himself in the bedroom to let things cool down. Okay, good job. Good job. Cool off. <laughs> stepson, on the other hand, went code red, threatening his mother's life, attacking Earhart shining style by hacking through the bedroom door with a katana-style sword. Then he throws a couple steak knives at his stepdad for good measure. They call 911 and they intervene before anyone literally loses their head. But this is, I just, I'm picturing this whole thing as I'm reading it. And you know, yeah, I mean, the stepdad was pissed off that a shrimp can was missing, but the stepson really did not like the reaction to that. No. Like, can you imagine the police going, so how did this all start? (laughs) Yeah, I had a reaction. Yeah. I felt a little verklempt. <laughs> the hell. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, my God, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Parapsychology and the Insidious franchise. We very much appreciate your patronage. Please tune back in on Friday for our Shrink Chat show. My name is Shannon. Oh, wait. Wait. How does it go? It goes, this is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.